So our reading this evening is from the book of Genesis, uh, from chapter 6 and 7, uh, which is on page 8 in the, blue, in the red church Bibles, they're not blue. So on page 8, um, Genesis chapter 6, starting from verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark, and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth for forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every every wild animal according to its kind, or livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. 
Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out people and animals, and the creatures that move along the ground, and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. going around in your head now. Apologies. Perhaps with the exception of David and Goliath, and perhaps the death of Jesus, couldn't be sure about that one, this must be the best known story in the Bible. Noah and the flood. Noah is a famous man. He gets everywhere. You can buy a Noah's Ark swim hat, even with matching swim nappy. Those two feel slightly ironic, given the context. Uh, you can get a Noah's Ark sleeping bag, a Noah's Ark baby grow. See what I've done there? Well done. <laughs> Sunday evening, I'll give you time. Um, you can get a Playmobil Noah's Ark. The Tuckwell family have got this one. We love it. Uh, John Lewis have got a Noah's Ark Dulux wooden toy. And there are even, this is my favourite, they're even Noah's Ark well done at school badges. Any of the uh, teachers here going to confess to having used those? No, good. Noah's everywhere. And you certainly wouldn't find a children's storybook Bible without at least a couple of pages on the story with accompanying pictures. Here are a few pictures that I found. This one's going for the slightly old-fashioned look. And next up, big bright rainbow, packed ark. Moving on. And then finally, this one's my favourite. Um, it's not completely clear to me who, who's fallen overboard in this last one. Maybe Mrs. Noah. So I couldn't see her anywhere and Mr. Noah's looking slightly alarmed. But let me ask you this. That those pictures, they're, they're familiar sort of pictures, aren't they? But, but what is wrong with the pictures? What, what, what's missing? You can actually answer here now. What's wrong with this picture when you look at it? 
There's no rain. And everyone's very happy. Exactly. We're going to leave that picture up on screen just to highlight the contrast. Listen again to the words of the biblical account. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Let me read these verses. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And then chapter 7, verse 21. Just jump on ahead. Chapter 7, verse 21. The final scenes in our reading tonight. Verse 21. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam over the earth and all mankind, everything on dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out, people and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. You read those verses and you realize this is an X-rated movie. It's not a children's nursery rhyme. It is completely and utterly horrific. I guess many of you We'll remember the awful scenes from the Boxing Day tsunami, 2004. They were scenes of great horror. And yet, how much worse are these scenes in Genesis? Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Isn't it odd that this true story, I'm convinced it's a true story. I didn't agree with everything Bob said last week but I'd agree the biblical language here, I don't think it necessitates a global flood, but certainly a real flood, a massive flood, a hugely destructive flood. In fact, I find it striking. Historians have found flood stories from civilizations all around the world. Mesopotamia, Egypt, Greece, Syria, Europe, India, New Guinea, Central America, North America, Australia, and South America. They've all got their flood stories. And yet, There's something here which we feel more comfortable turning into children's toys or wallpaper or even swim nappies. There's some reason we turn away from the horror of this moment. Why do we do that? You might have heard me tell this story. One of my most uh, vivid memories from growing up. I was about six years old, I think, and my dad... He had taken me and my sister into town, into Epsom, where we used to live, to buy our first ever cameras. Now, my dad, he's a big photographer. This was a big moment for him, son and daughter, getting their cameras. And it was a disc camera, if any of you remember disc cameras. Um, Ridiculous devices. You could only take 15 photos on the device, and then you had to pay a small fortune to get it developed, only to find that your finger was covering most of the photos. That was the dark ages. Anyway, it was... He was during the height of the IRA tensions. A bomb had gone off in a shopping street um, not long before. And while we were standing in the queue of Dixons in Epsom to buy our two cameras, suddenly police came swarming into the shopping centre and uh, the, the phone call had come in, the threat had come, the police were evacuating, everyone was to leave. Everyone except my dad and the two of us. My dad was not going to leave Dixons without those two cameras. So literally, 
the shopping center is empty. The, the metal rollers in every shop has been pulled down. And it was just the three of us and this rather terrified shop assistant who daren't leave because my dad is more scary than, than the bomb threat. And we're trying to pay for these cameras. It was complete madness. And my mum told my dad exactly that when we got home and told her the story. Are we in danger of making the same mistake here? The animals went in two by two, hurrah! And we laugh it off. We miss what's going on in this moment. We need, we need to see the danger, we need to see the horror. Or else we miss a tr- crucial truth about our Creator God. We're only at Genesis chapter 6. So far we've had two chapters of creation. We've had one chapter of Adam and Eve disobeying God. We've had a chapter of Cain murdering Abel. We've had a very long genealogy. And now Genesis 6 to 9, four long chapters of God flooding the world. Do you see that? Two chapters of creation. We talk about them a lot. We, we worry about how we're meant to understand them. And then four chapters of decreation, of God flooding the whole earth. And we just paint a bedroom mural out of them. But if we miss the horror in these chapters, we miss a vital truth about God. Because God hates our sin. That's what we desperately need to see from these chapters tonight. God hates our sin. I realize that's not what you want to be told on a sunny Sunday evening. I realize it doesn't fit with our cuddly granddad in the sky kind of view of God. But we've got to see, that is what these verses are telling us. Look with me again at at verse 11 of chapter 6. These are key verses for us. Verse 11 again. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Do you see the language here? It's as if the whole earth has been filled to the brim with human wickedness. Verse 11, full of violence. Verse 13, filled with violence because of them. This, this is human sin. This is our wickedness. It's as if every newspaper headline would capture another account of humanity's wrongdoing. As though every TV news report would, would highlight our utter disregard for God and his ways. And actually, that's the problem. This, this is so familiar. This is the world in which we live. And it's not out there. There's a danger with that tonight, that, that we sit here and we say to ourselves, well, be Noah, be righteous, live for God amongst the mockers and the scoffers. Church, church is a very dangerous place for that. Easy to tell ourselves the problem is out there and not in here. That's not what my heart has heard as I've read these verses this week. The words I speak the decisions I make, selfish decisions, decisions which put John at the center, not God, 
not you, but me. And that condemns me. I read, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And I'm left thinking, Noah's seat is not my seat to claim in this story. I think, I think that's perhaps why we put a gloss on the events. The animals went in two by two, hurrah! Because we don't like the reality of our wickedness. But just play back through the last 24 hours of your life. Be honest with yourself. I, I doubt you need to go back further than that. How's it been? Who have you loved? Who have you lived for? Have you lived the way you've wanted to live? My, my guess is not. So let me, let me ask you, what do you do with that? When you see something deeply unattractive in your life, what do you do with it? Do you go for the, the comparison approach? The sort of, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as them. That's one tactic. Or do you normalize it? Do you just say, well, I mean, everyone does that, don't I mean, it's only a little bit of gossip. Everyone does it. Harmless. Do you sweep, sweep it under the carpet? Just ignore it. I hope it will go away. And yet it keeps coming back. Or do you go for the, the compensation route? This one's powerful. Do, do at least three good things to make up for the one bad thing. But the problem is, you stuff up again, and you hadn't quite managed to do the three good things from last time, and now the debt is really piling up. You'll have your own tactic to deal with the problem of your sin. Those bits of character you're really not that keen on. It is, it's worth acknowledging to yourself what your tactic is. But then we need to see God's response. Look with me, chapter 7, verse 17. God's response to human sin. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lift the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. You see, the picture before was of a world filled to the brim with human sin. And here we see a holy, a perfect God, a God who in his holiness cannot stand to be in the presence of wickedness. And so he fills up his earth with water. He, he, he is washing the wickedness away. I think that's why the mountains are mentioned here. I'm not convinced we have to read that literally. I, I, I'm happy to. But the point is, human sin reached to the top of the mountains. God's judgment, his destruction of evil, it reached higher still, completely washed away. It's a horrific scene. But we need to see it. We need to, to grasp the holiness of our creator God. 
we need to grasp the consequences of our sin. So don't start by placing yourself in the boat. Begin by standing with the rest of humanity. Acknowledge your sin. It's only then that we can look at the boat. It's only then that we'll understand our desperate need for the boat. It's only then we'll start to be amazed by the tiny little details in these chapters. Notice them with me because in these verses we see a God who grieves. A relational God who, who loves his creation and deeply mourns its brokenness. Look back, chapter 6, verse 6, where we read, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. God grieves. And we see a God who speaks, a relational God who communicates with his creation. It's not a distant deity. He's intimately involved with his creation. God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. God speaks. And as we hear him speak, we hear him give detailed instructions for this ark. Now, I don't know what you made of those details, the detailed dimensions for the ark. Why are we given those measurements? Did you ask yourself that? Is it so that we can build a massive replica and think, wow, that was big? Is it so we can debate whether he really could have fitted all the animals in there? Why are we given the details? Maybe ask the question this way. Can you think of two other places in the Bible where we've got detailed instructions for a building project? Anyone going to name one of the two other places in the Bible? Detailed instructions for a building project. Tabernacle and temple. The tabernacle and the temple. Exodus 25 for the tabernacle. 1 Kings 6, 2 Chronicles 2. For the temple, detailed instructions for a building project. Now, I think that's hugely significant. Because as God gives Moses the detailed instructions for the, for the tabernacle, the desert tent that's going to travel around with them for, for 40 years, he was building a place of temporary rescue. A place where sacrifices could be carried out to temporarily deal with human sin. It didn't solve the problem. Come back in two weeks' time and we'll see that Noah's ark didn't solve the problem. But the ark points us forwards to the tabernacle and then to the temple, to Solomon's temple. All temporary solutions for sin. They were just patch-up jobs on human brokenness, human wickedness. But as, as we keep going through the Bible story, we get to the true ark. We get to the true temple. We find the one who says, I'm going to destroy this temple and I am going to build it again in three days. Do you see what's happened there? Ark, tabernacle, temple. They could not deal with the problem of sin. But then we get to Jesus Christ. No detailed building instructions this time. It, it was just two pieces of wood. But as he died on that cross, outside Jerusalem, as the fountain of God's judgment poured out on him, we find a new and better ark. We see a new and better tabernacle, a new and better temple, one who can, who really can, 
once and for all deal with the problem of human sin. So the problem is, underplay the horror of the flood and we underplay the horror of the cross. We mustn't turn it into a children's toy. We need to recognize the awfulness of the flood, the destruction of human sin. And yet, in the great horror of the flood, there is joy. Because we meet a God who loves to rescue. Look down with me again. I love this verse. Chapter 7, verse 16. We're going to end here. Chapter 7, verse 16. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Don't you just love that? You you can picture the scene. They're, They're all in the ark. Noah, his family, the animals, they're all there. And the rain starts to come down. We're told the rain starts the very day they get into the ark. And as the rain comes down, they, they look at the door. I mean, presumably it's a pretty big door. Elephants are pretty big. And as the rain comes down, the question starts to be asked, well, how are we going to close the door? You think about that, how, how are we closing the door? Then the Lord shuts him in. Because this isn't Noah's rescue plan. This is God's rescue plan. All that Noah did was trusted and obeyed. That's important to see. We're going to think more about that next week. But this was God's rescue. And as we see the, the horror of our sin, the rightness of God's judgment, these verses should make us run for shelter. They should make us run to the true and better ark. To the one who can keep us safe. In fact, more than that, he has promised to keep all who turn to him safe. So can I say, if you have not run to him, if you're not trusting in Jesus to keep you safe in the flood of God's judgment, can I urge you to find shelter in him there is judgment for your sin but there is one who offers to take that judgment in your place and if you have run to him let me encourage you to delight in him as we share bread and wine together remember again the great price that he paid don't don't minimize it Remember again and cling to the cross. As we, as we picture the ark floating on those waters, there is nothing else to turn to but that ark. We can be very confident we have no other hope than the hope of God's rescue. So cling to him. I'm going to suggest we just have a few moments of quiet to respond to God in our own hearts. Then Steve is going to come and lead us.